glad to be here today and uh, just I, I feel at home at Cookville Church. You guys have become second family to me. I told my wife when I left last night uh, that, that this, is, this is like home. It's going home again uh, because I have just enjoyed uh, being here so, so many times and I love your pastor and his wife and family and I love each of you. And I am not going to give you a report today because you hear from me regularly and uh, I am just want to preach to you. Is that okay? All right, the rest of you are free to leave. All right, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 this morning, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to read together just these few verses, uh, and then we'll get into the, the preaching of, of the word. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, Jesus says, and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and is born and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, and here's my key verse, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. But this thou hast that thou hast the deed, or hatest rather, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. On one occasion, while Jesus was teaching, a doctor of the law came up to him and was asking, which is the great commandment of the law? And so Jesus summed up all the law and the prophets by saying, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first that is in priority. This is the first as in superior to all others. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love God supremely. Love others genuinely as a demonstration of our love for God. And that's the simple Christian life. Love God, love other people. If we could just master those two, we would have worked out all the Ten Commandments. We would have tackled any problem that we would ever have in the church. And so we would cover everything, our obligation both to God and man, if we could just learn to love God and love others. It's that easy, but it's not that simple. Would you all agree with that? Or maybe I should say it's that simple and not that easy. We can know the truth, but doing it is completely different. It's easier said than done. It's, 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 it's more difficult than we can ever imagine. It's been said, though, that love is the sign the sign of authentic Christianity. It is for this reason that the Apostle John wrote that it's by our love that our testimony is evidence around us. Here's how he put it. By this shall all men know you are my disciples. How? If you have love one to another. Who are the one another's though? If we're to love one another, who does he mean by that? Well, the New Testament fills in the blanks for us. On one occasion, in that same, uh, in the same letter of 1 John 4, 11, the apostle explains that it's the brotherhood, that it's the brotherhood and this commandment we have from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. The person loves God, but he also ought to love those he worships God with. 
and serves God alongside his fellow friend and fellow worshipers and his partners in the work of the ministry. And if we say that we love God and we hate our brothers, then there's a huge problem there. In Luke chapter 10, we have another uh, idea of who one of the one another's are, and that is according to the Good Samaritan story, it's everyone that we would meet Everyone we would meet, including the total stranger who needs our help. Love is not restricted to a specific tribe. It's not specific to a language. It's not uh, just dedicated to a certain family. In fact, our love for people ought to extend to people perhaps of a different, ready for this, political party than us. You all agree with that? Well, one, thank you, Seth. Appreciate that. We ought to love people of different denominations than us. We ought to love people that look different from us. I mean, they may have a different hair color than us. Not everybody can be blessed with red hair. And so we have to learn to love people who are different than we are. As believers, we're in the people business. The people business. And yet I see a lot of churches who are more interested in programming and preferences and they forget about people. And I'm just being honest with you. And in my pastor's heart, uh, I, I, when I pastored at our local church and somebody would catch me, let's say I was right over here and I, I got caught and he began to tell me about you know, some need in his life and I, I don't care if it was 1105 and it was time to start church, I was going to pay attention to that need and we would start church when we got around to it because people to me are more important than programs. People are more important than preferences and the, the colors and the temperatures and all those things that we seem to invite into our churches. And it's just that reason that I think we need to be careful. In the Gospel of Luke, he takes it even further. We are to love those who hate us, <clears throat> curse us, despitefully use us. Now, that's pretty radical. I, I might could love my brothers who love me. I mean, that's easy. I can love others who love me. It's pretty easy to even love strangers because they've not done anything against me. And so, you know, I, you all know I'm a chaplain with the police department. And so it's easy for me to go out and meet people I don't know in the worst day of their life and minister to them and love on them because they've not offended me. But when it comes to people who hate me, what's my inclination? Tell the truth, to hate them. When people speak ill against me, what's my inclination? To speak ill against them. If they use me despitefully, my inclination is to use them. And so that's our nature, but the Lord says radically we have to love them, to render good for evil. And that's the higher rule that Jesus sets for us. You see, enemies of ours, are no more and no less than sinners in the need of the Savior just like we are. And so when we look at people in this world that, that are our enemies, they are also our fellow sinners. And that's true of the jihadist. That's true of the abortion activists. This is the month where we celebrate the sanctity of human life. It, it, is, it is true of the abortionists. It is true of those who differ, differ politically from me. And it's amazing to me that in, in 2022 that our nation is content on shouting profanities at our president in public events and to the point that I would be embarrassed to take my children, if I had small children, to sporting events now or races or whatever because I know that they're probably going to hear profanities shouted to the top of their lungs against the leader of our country. You say, well, I don't like the leader of our country. Well, that's fine and well. That's fine and well. You don't have to like him to love him. And even Christian people are using the more palatable version of that profanity and they, they find that out of NASCAR they were given a, a way to use profanity in a way that seems to be acceptable by churches and I don't buy it, church. 
I don't think that's where we ought to be because the scripture tells us, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks ought to be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Why is it good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior? Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? And so how can we express that we want people to say, be saved when we return criticism for criticism, violence with violence? How can we return that with hatefulness upon hatefulness? Listen to me carefully. It is possible to disagree and even detest the policies and actions of a man and love him and pray for his salvation. Now let me ask you a question. With that being said, how many of you, raise your hand, how many of you this week have prayed for your president by name specifically sometime this week? Let me see your hand. Okay, two people. Don't you find that a shame that we are more apt to criticize and complain and fuss and cuss, which is our nature than we are to love people who are in need of a Savior. Here's the point. Our love for the Lord, our love for those He loves, is the truest measure of our commitment to Him. If you cannot love the world, then we are not, optional, or we are not optimally following Christ because He loved the world enough to give Himself as a sacrifice for the world. And so here's... A question for our reflection before we get into the text. This is an introduction. Aren't you excited? When the world looks at the church, when he looks at Cookville Free Will Baptist Church corporately and then each of us in this room individually, when he looks at us, when the world looks at us, does the world see the love of God demonstrated in the love that we have for each other? Does the world see our love for God in the way that we love other people? It's beyond tragic, isn't it, that uh, some churches are known for their turmoil and their fussing and infighting. And matter of fact, just two weeks ago in, in Jefferson County, Tennessee, uh, there was a call for the sheriff's department to come out to a Baptist church where they were fighting. And the sheriff's department had to come out and literally end a fight that was happening inside the church. How many of you all think that's a shame? I think it's a desperate shame. You know, if those officers were lost, what impression do you think that would have given them about the church and the body of Christ? That's my point here this morning, and I hope you can see it. The absence of our love for others undermines the credibility of the gospel. And no wonder Jesus said here in our text in Revelation 2, 4, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first, there it is, the priority, the superiority of your first love. Or as the Amplified Bible, you've left the depths of the love that you had at first. And so let me talk to you about this text today. Jesus warns of this clear and present danger of abandoning our love for God, his son Jesus and those around us. It is easy to allow our passion to grow cold, isn't it? I don't know if anybody else in the room does it or not, but at home we, we burn wood as a, as a supplement to our heating and and I, I don't like huge electric bills, and I, I use a nice wood-burning stove, uh, insert in the fireplace, and I love that personally. I like to get wood in. I, I just put stacked up a cord of wood yesterday there at the house and, and left a big bunch inside so that my mother-in-law would be able to keep my wife warm, you know, while I'm out of town and, and all that kind of good stuff. And, and, and we like it. We love to burn with wood. But here, here's the thing that I've learned about it. I want you to listen. It, it, if, if our souls, like that fireplace, are not regularly cleaned out and tended 
and stoked and bellowed and refueled, it doesn't take long for the fire to turn to embers and embers to turn to ash. How many of you know that's true? How many of you use wood? Few of you. And you know what I'm talking about. You've got to clean it out. You've got to refuel it. You've got to make sure that the vent is good. You've got to make sure everything is appropriate or you're not going to get any heat off of your investment there. And may I just say that I think I, I see that in the church, that if we are not careful as believers, it is easy for the passion and the fire burning within us to get cold. And the fire that once ignited us is now turning to embers. And if we're not careful, it can literally turn to ash. And it doesn't take long for that to happen if it's not cleaned out and tended and refueled. And so Jesus admonishes us here as he did at the church of Ephesus to be careful. Be careful of not letting your first love Go by the wayside. The Roman government had exiled John to Patmos. You know the story. Brother George will tell you if you don't know. Apostle John was on Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then on the Lord's day, being banished to that island, John was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus revealed himself to us and we have the revelation of Jesus Christ here in the last book of the Bible. Most of the time when we think about the book of Revelation, we think of what? We think of future. We think of prophecy. But in chapters 2 and 3, he's really writing about things that are present, things that are, are of current uh, nature. These were seven literal churches with seven literal pastors and seven literal cities that, that were existing in southwest Turkey in that day. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And the first again is Ephesus. Why is that? Because when John wrote the letter, he would have sent it back by messenger and they would have come by boat back, you see, back to the mainland and the harbor that they would have entered was Ephesus. So it was natural for it to be the first spot when that messenger got off of the boat and he went to the church and he read the letters. And so here are the letters. And Ephesus was a city that was, had that huge harbor. It was at the crossroads of travel. It was a cultural epicenter. It was religiously strong, but not in the way we would think. It was economically viable. And Ephesus would be like visiting New York City today. If there's anything to be seen, you can see it in New York City, right? And that's the way Ephesus was. And so it was a melting pot of indulgence and paganism and all kinds of stuff. It, and it was a large, beautiful city there and, and a wonderful metropolis to visit. And it was best known for its massive shrine to Diana. To Diana, or some people call her Artemis. The temple of Artemis was there, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And every day, now listen carefully, thousands of priests and eunuchs and temple prostitutes and musicians and dancers and people would enter into the temple of Artemis and they would celebrate their faith. How? With drunkenness and with debauchery and with sexual deviance and frenzies of self-mutilation. And, and one guy that lived during that time who was a Greek philosopher said, no one could live in Ephesus without weeping over the immorality which he has to see there. And in that city, in that city, in that paganism was a church. <laughs> Can you imagine I mean, if we were trying to plant a church, we might go somewhere that was a little more friendly to the gospel. But in this city was a church that is planted by Paul, led by Timothy, taught by Apollos, served by Aquila and Priscilla, encouraged by Onesiphorus. It was helped by Tychicus. It was discipled by John. And I think if you were to add all that together, you would say that is a legacy of faith if there ever was one. And at times... At the time of these letters, the church of Ephesus would have been about 40 decades old. So the church has existed 40 years. They had built a great ministry on salvation by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2. And let's look now 
to see what this wonderful work is that they had done, these faithful works. He says, I know thy works. You see that? Verse 2, I know thy works. We serve an omniscient Savior who walks in the midst of our churches. He's here with us today. He knows what we are doing. He sees our hearts. He knows what we're doing right, and he knows what we are doing wrong. And he sees them, and he commends them for their works. And may I just say, there were no spectators in this church. There were no spectators in this church. And it's easy to go to church now in 2022 and find that most churches, many churches, are driven by entertainment. It's driven by a few people who do everything and everybody else, they just attend the concert, for instance, or they attend the, the, uh, the meeting of the week and there's not any expectation for them. Well, this was not the church of Ephesus. These were active participants, not passive observers. How many of you know that in some churches, even Free Will Baptist churches, it's hard to get people to work? Amen, right? It's hard to get people to work. There are always people willing to stand around and tell stories while other people do the work. It's also easy to have people who criticize the people who are doing the work. Amen? Or there are those who would rather pay people to do the work instead of getting their hands dirty. I'm just being honest with you. But if the Ephesians... We're workers, like people who have served here in this church. This church doesn't just happen. These services just do not occur. The bathrooms do not just magically get remodeled. By the way, it looks great. I got to use it for the first time today. I love it. And I love what y'all are doing here on this corner. The Lord says to you, I know your works and let me just remind you, church, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It may seem like your service is useless. I can tell you, though, that you cannot give as little as a drink of cold water in Jesus' name, that it does not get recorded in heaven, and it does not take, it, it has taken notice of heaven. And it may not seem like you are making much of a difference, but I assure you, you are indeed making a difference. I have to admit that I wonder sometimes if I make any difference. I take comfort in knowing that the Lord keeps a record, that he sees, that he knows, he knows my heart, and he knew them, their, their labor, and he knew their, their patience. What was their labor? Well, they had a devotion to doctrine, the Bible teaches us here. They, what they was used, this word labor that was used here is the idea of toil to the point of exhaustion. I mean, they worked till they could not work anymore. Almost from day one, this church was given an onslaught of, of people who were attacking their faith. And Paul warned the Ephesian elders when he left them in, in Acts chapter 20 that wolves would come into the church when he left. Now listen, the church church was 40 years later now still on guard and the Bible says here, Jesus says, I, I know that you cannot bear them which are evil. They hated what God hated, especially the unrestrained indulgence of the people of, of, of Ephesus like the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. To the point of exhaustion they stood for, for right and against wrong. For instance, they, they tested their teachers by the way, I always encourage people to follow along in Scripture. Don't just look at it when the Bible's being read, but you follow along. Make sure your preacher's preaching accurately. Make sure your teacher is teaching accurately. You have the Holy Spirit who is leading and guiding you. You have two eyes. You have the ability to read. And, and you ought to know these things. And, and so they tested their teacher. Verse 2 says, Now let's try them which say they are apostles and are not. And it's found them liars. And may I just say to you in the day of, that we live, there's massive amounts of books and podcasts and, and programs and, and, and I like what uh, one guy that I, that, that I used to work with a guy by the name of Heath Good, he and his wife they, they said that they've developed a plan she's going to hold the baby up you know, at, at Walmart into the, into the security camera. And, and while they do that, he's going to hide all the books that, you know, uh, that people ought not to be reading, like Joel Osteen and some of those guys. He's going to take them and hide them all so nobody can buy them. I thought it was funny. You know, there, there is a lot of people that are teaching and preaching heresy today. 
a lot of people that, that are popular, but they are not good teachers. So for the sake of your family, for the, for the sake of yourself, you need to be able to go beyond some superficial Christianity and you need to dig deep and you need to know what the Bible says and you need to get into the word and, and become uh, deeper there. So he says, I, I know that you stood in doctrine, you tested your teachers and, and also they expected holiness from their members. And, and let me just point this out to you that in Ephesus, when you went to Ephesus to live, it, it was that, that temple of Artemis was the center of everything. So it wasn't just worship. You, you think, oh, I would never go to the temple of Artemis because, you know, that's false worship. Well, let me tell you what else they did there. And I'll put it in our vernacular. If you needed to get your car tags, you had to go to the temple of Artemis. If you had to go pay your taxes, you had to go down to the temple of Artemis to do that. If you wanted to uh, buy groceries, you had to go to the Temple of Artemis because that's where the markets were. If you wanted to get a new, uh, uh, new part for your car, you had to go down to the Temple of Artemis because that's where all the, the artisans were, the, the people who worked with iron and all those things. And so let me just put it to you this way. That, that was the place you had to go. Now listen, when you went to the Temple of Artemis, even as a believer, here's what they were forced to do. If you walked in... This is historical. You can read it. When you got there, you would have to take a pinch of incense and throw it on a burning altar to Artemis. Just that simple, and then you just walk in. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't any big thing. You just take a pinch, throw it in, and keep going. Pinch. I mean, just picture, uh, I mean, a little less religious, but picture Salvation Army. You know, you just toss your quarter in and walk on into Walmart. Just that simple. You don't have to think about it. But here was the problem. The church was forced, you see, perhaps, to go there to do their business. I don't know if you see any problem with that, but it would be easy to acquiesce to the culture and say, well, God understands. Does God understand? Does God understand when we enter into worship, even that casually, to another God? I, I think we ought to, as Daniel saying this morning, have clean hands. We ought to have clean hands. We ought to get rid of the idea of idols. But can I just tell you, it's easy to compromise. Can you imagine, now listen, not being able to buy or sell without nodding first to the paganism of the day? <laughs> we don't have to look very far, by the way, in our nation to see how that could develop. I'm not saying that we're seeing the mark of the beast come, but all I'm telling you is when you begin to have to have a passport to travel or a passport to buy groceries, or a passport to get a kidney transplant, we're not far from this whole idea that we have to acknowledge the government and bow to the government in order to do our business. I'm going to tell you, we have no Caesar but God. And we need to be careful of this. And so not only did he know their works, but that they were people of doctrine, but he knew their persistence. Even in persecution, they had remained under the load because of those things. And friends, can I just tell you, we're going to see it coming here even more and more. We're already battling, and I'm going to name you a couple, critical race theory. We're battling that here in our country. If you don't know what it is, you need to find out what it is because it's bad business, and some schools are beginning to teach it. We need to be careful of that. Uh, the whole idea of gender dysphoria transgenderism and the like. It's becoming so normal that our young people are confused. I'm telling you the truth. If you, if you think it's not coming to church, it's already at church because your young people have been confused about it and, and, and because of the influence of media and TikTok and other things, they're already begin thinking, well, you know, they, we just got to let people be who people are. Well, I'm going to tell you, friends, we have to be persistent and stand up against these things, and we have to be willing to do that even if it costs us something. This is Sanctity of Human Life Month. Abortion, it's still a big deal in our country, and, and I'm thankful for what just happened in the Supreme Court regarding Texas. But listen, we need every state to follow that. I, I'm sorry that Tennessee is, has as loose of abortion laws as we do, even though we're a little more conservative than, than others. I think we need to tighten it up a little bit, don't you? We need to understand that and we need not to faint and grow weary in well-doing. 
And we need to stand when others are bowing like Daniel and his three friends who stood during the test. Now, let me take my last few minutes and talk to you about the weakness of the church. Jesus sees what their works were, their doctrine, their persecution, but he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. They were active, but they were cold. Their fervor had been turned into duty. That's easy done, isn't it? We go to church out of duty, out of routine, out of obligation, instead of out of passion, want to heartfelt want to get with the brethren and, 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 and live and worship together. I'm going to tell you the service to the Lord cannot be driven by this kind of duty. It's got to be driven by a fiery love. And, we, and we, let me give you an example. Man, I, I pastor this guy. He's an old crusty guy. You know any old crusty guys? A few Old crusty guy, been married to his wife a long time, and we were having, you know, it was a sweetheart supper or something like that. You know, we were doing all the marriage feel good stuff, and he said, "I I told Madge that tells you how old is how old they were." He said, "I told Madge on our wedding day that I loved her, and I told her if that ever changed, I'd let her know." How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like that? Let me tell you something. I think a lot of people do their Christianity that way. I, I told the Lord once that I loved him, and if that ever changes, I'll let him know. It doesn't work that way, friends. Our love has got to be a fiery love. It ought to be an expressive love. It's got to be a, an emotional love. You know, we, we sometimes we miss it because we become more like a Martha in Luke 10 where we're engrossed in religious work and we forget, to be, we forget to be like Mary when we have the opportunity to be and sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus and tell him how much that we love him extravagantly. A love for Jesus ought to not be calculated. and It's, it's got to be sacrificial and extravagant and some people even misunderstood. So let's see this warning. He says, you, you've left your first love. But what, what, how do we correct that? If we have left our first love, he gives us, and he first of all says, remember, remember. Consider where he brought you from. I'm not going to ask you to remember to, to raise your hand, but do you remember what it was like the day you got saved? Do you remember what it was like when you knew your sins were forgiven? Do you remember what it was like to have the load of sin lifted off of you and you finally could breathe again? Do you remember the dreams that you had uh, about what you wanted to do for God? Do you remember the joy in serving the Lord? Do you remember how involved you wanted to be and how active you wanted to be? Do you remember the vision that you had for your church? Can you, can you remember that? Well, let me tell you, you need to remember what it felt like then and return to that. Remember, and then he says, repent. Make a U-turn. About face, Christian soldier. That's what it means. Repentance is not once and done. We must always be repenting in, in the Christian life. We must always find our way back to the cross. So we remember, we repent, and then we repeat. And if you'll notice there, he says in, in that verse 5, he says, do the first works again. Do the first works. Do them again. Repeat them. Fall back in love with the Savior and His Word. Go back on your spiritual honeymoon, if you would. Go back to the place and, and remember what you were then. Do your first works. And, and I'm just going to give you one. Is Bible reading. We're in January. Get back in the Bible. Some of you all have not read your Bible in a long time, except maybe at church. And, and I, by the way, I love the, the convenience of, of these devices. I love that. I love the convenience of that. And I'm not going to preach against those. But there is something about opening the Bible and getting into the Word on a daily basis and, and reading it and studying it. And, and a lot of people want to go through the Bible in a year. 
in about 15 or 20 minutes a day, you could cut that out of your schedule and you could read the Bible in a year. If you're a slow reader like I am, you can slow it down. Read the Bible through in two years. Read the Bible through in three years. What's the point? Read the scripture. Fall back in love with the Savior. Read the love letters again. How many of you got love letters somewhere in your house? I do. I have them in a shoebox under the bed. You know the last time I read them? I couldn't tell you. The box is covered in dust and cat hair. Because the cats like to get under the bed. How many of you think that's sad? Sometimes we need to go back and we need to read again what the Lord says to us. Repeat, read the Bible, pray, witness, testify, cry, praise the Lord. Some of y'all, when was the last time you raised your hand in service and praised to the Lord? When was the last time when we had altar of prayer that you actually got out of your seat and came down to the altar and prayed? When was the last time when the preacher gave an invitation to a sermon that you know he was preaching to you? Because the Holy Spirit directed it to you. That you failed to come. You ought to get here. Return. Repeat those works again. In Ephesus, let me just tell you this. In Ephesus, when these people first came to Christ, you may remember in the book of Acts what they did. They took all of their pagan books, their witchcraft books. Do you remember this? And all of the devices that they used with that. And they piled them up and had a big bonfire. And, and the Bible estimates their value at 50,000 pieces of silver. Now that may, that may not really ring to us because we don't, you know, we're not on the gold and silver currency, but I think we understand well enough that 50,000 pieces of silver is a lot of money, okay? And these people were literally giving everything. They were trading everything for him. And so I want to encourage you, get back to what it used to be. This church needs you to be involved. Get back. Into, the, into your love for the Lord. But there is a warning here, and I'm going to give this to you in about two or three minutes here. There is a warning, and it is right here in verse 5. You still have your Bible open because you love the Lord and you want to follow along and all that kind of thing? Yeah, I saw you. Okay, do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place. Except our pen. That, that may not mean much to you, but let me tell you what that means. The candlestick was the symbol of the church itself, its influence, its ability to be a light in the community. Now, listen a church or a Christian without love is a false witness. It really is, it's a false witness. And Jesus will not tolerate a church without love. It may function, listen, it may function, but it'll have no testimony. It may exist, but it'll have no power. It may continue on, but there'll be no presence of God. And I want you to hear me today. The Lord said, I will remove the candlestick. I'll remove your ability to have influence. And I see it all the time. I see a lot of churches in my line of work where there is no love for Jesus. There's no light for Jesus. There's no passion for Christ. I mean, they don't care whether you're there or not. I went to a church recently and tried to get in the building. And it's, it, the door was locked. The front door of the church was locked. How many of you think that was welcoming to visitors? You see, they all used the side door. The little side door, the unknown door. You know? What, was, what did that communicate to me? That they were happy with those people who knew the secret door and they didn't want anybody else in. They didn't even take time to unlock the door. Are you surprised that counting me, they only had nine people that morning? Are you surprised that they had no musicians? Are you surprised that there was no life or fervor in the service? Does it surprise you that I was glad when I could say I had been to church and had left? You know what I'm saying? 
I'm going to tell you, I see it. And let me just be, a, be blunt right now. It could happen at Cookful Free Will Baptist Church. Y'all listening? The Ephesian church, remember Ephesians 2, I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest that many, they had good works. These people loved the Lord. At one time, they were fervent. They had the best pastors in the world. But at some point, their fire had grown cold and their love for the Lord had waned and they were no longer loving Him supremely and first and, and as a priority. And can I tell you today that we, that we ought to consider that, that the Lord could take our influence away from this place if we're not active in the work of the Lord. I'm going to ask you, my friend, are you faithful? Are you passionate about scripture reading? When, the, when we sing, are you involved? Daniel, you see them, are they involved? You plead in the fifth on the grounds that it might incriminate them? Do we lift up our hands and praise to the Lord? Do we sing like Jesus just saved us and redeemed us? Are, are y'all with me today? Have we lost our first love? Or have we just gotten old and, and accustomed to it? I think probably there are people in this room that have gotten old in their faith and accustomed to just coming and doing and leaving I'm calling you today to remember and to repent and repeat the first words. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the message today out of the scripture. It's, it's not my word, it's yours. There is a danger here, Lord, in this place, in my life. There is a danger in all of our lives. Lord, and so I pray that you would just send the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and remind us of what it once was like to serve you with zeal and passion. I'm talking to the Christian people today, oh Christ, and I pray, Lord, that you would call this church back to its first love for you and for other people. With nobody looking around, I wonder, my friend, if the message has been for you today. I'm not intentionally trying to come and make you sorry, to make you sorrow, to cause you some grief. I've just come to tell you the truth of the word of the Lord, that it's easy, believe me, it's easy to lose the passion that you once had. It's easy to let the fire grow cold. Maybe some of you this morning are saying, that's me. I don't have the zeal I once had. I don't, I don't have the passion, the love, the fire of the Holy Spirit burning down within me like I once had that gives me a love for God that's unmistakable and, and a love for others that's clear. The Lord has given you the prescription this morning. He says, remember what it was like. Repent. That is, turn back to Him. And then do the first words. Repeat those first words. Do it over again. It's not, it's not complicated. It's simple, but it's not easy. But I'm calling on you to do it today. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And I, I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to let both feet even hit the ground. I want one to hit the ground and then the other one start to walk. I, in just a minute when we stand, I want you to step out. And I want you to come to this altar and pray that the Lord would help you to remember. That he would revive your soul again. That he would clean out the ashes. and He would breathe into you again so the fire would catch up. Are you ready? Are you ready to come? Everybody stand. Everybody stand. And right now, my friend, I want you to come. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Please. Would you come? 
sir, ma'am, I want you to come right now. Come on. Right now, don't wait. Don't wait. I need the fire of the Holy Spirit burning fresh in my life. We're going to sing in just a minute, but I want you to come. If you can't kneel, you come and take a front seat. That's perfectly fine. Why don't you come right now? Daniel's going to sing. Why don't you come? Are you hurting, broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? I would love to see Jesus some of you come and pray with your preacher. Some of you men ought to come down here and wrap your arms around your preacher. Some of you have you come to the come end of that. yourself? Do, do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open Who else needs to come? Forgiveness was right with that Somebody else today. Who needs to come? Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come there today. Go. There's no there reason to Who wait. Else needs to come? Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. Hey, somebody else. From the ashes a new life is born. Is this is your opportunity. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to. say amen to that message. Uh, Brother Chris is a great blessing to me, and uh, tonight he's actually going to be preaching at the first church I ever pastored, and I saw one of the members this week, and uh, he said, what kind of preacher is that guy? And a lot of thoughts ran through my head, and you want to know what I said, don't you? I said, he preaches the Bible. What more can you ask for, right? I mean, Chris could have stood up here, and he could have gave us... He could have said, I mean, he's a good speaker and a good orator, and he could probably, you know, talk about just a number of things, but he just give us the Bible. That's what we need, right? A church grows on a good steady diet of the Word of God and the prayers of its people. 
So uh, I enjoyed that. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank, uh, appreciate those that came to the altar, and I pray that God would stir up a fire in everybody. And uh, you know that's 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 what fire does, right? I mean, fire fire doesn't want to stay small. You ever thought about that? I mean, there's been national forests burnt to the burnt to the ground because somebody threw a cigarette out their window. And so fire can spread, amen, and, and we can all uh, grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate the message this morning. Thank you for being here. Pray for those that are sick, amen. Uh, I, it seems like this COVID thing is, is, is ramped back up, and uh, but we're, we need to pray for folks. And uh, even if we don't necessarily pray that it goes away, I wish it would, but the people that get it need our prayers, and people are hurting, people are, are still dying, so pray for your brothers and sisters and uh, look forward to next Sunday night uh, Brother Chris will be back to uh, preach the ordination of our deacons Brother Anthony back there and uh, Brother George out in the hall and Brother Cecil who is uh, under the weather this morning appreciate you please come back Wednesday night if you're able and if you want to hear Brother Chris again tonight I'll, I'll go ahead and plug him uh, he will be at the Taylor's Providence Free Will Baptist Church. That's the first church I ever pastored. It's about the size of the Joy Classroom, the sanctuary is. But they're a good, godly bunch of people, and that's what matters. Amen? And so he'll be there tonight, and uh, just come and support him if you're able. If not, we'll see you at church Wednesday uh, night, hopefully, and if not, Sunday morning. Appreciate that. Uh, again, it's good to have Matthew Roach with us. I enjoyed that song he sung. And I am going to ask him uh, to dismiss us in prayer. I'm going to give you this mic, brother. Please dismiss us. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We thank you, Father, that we were able to gather ourselves together in your name and your house this morning. Thank you for the freedom to do so. We don't take it lightly. Father, I pray that you would take the message, dear God, and apply it to our hearts throughout this week, dear Lord, and that we would take it with us, that we would make sure that we are in tune with our first love. Father, I pray that you would just go with us as we go our separate ways, Lord, and give us traveling grace and mercy. We love you, Father. We thank you. We praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.